the dharmic path was simply just the opportunities and the lessons to learn to love myself whether or not i was helping people or not because by me loving myself and showing up as who i am and how i be in the world it was healing for people just in conversations whether they are my clients or not welcome to amplify we are here to help you own your truth, use your voice, and stand out as the most unapologetically aligned, abundant, and authentic version of you so that you can make a big impact in the world doing what sets your soul on fire. Because you and I, we are meant to stand the F out. I'm your host, Lauren Salon, and I'm a public relations and marketing expert, entrepreneur, speaker, former on-air entertainment host and past professional fitness competitor and health coach. And several times per week, I'll be bringing you epic guest conversations and solo episodes along with the tools, tricks, and tips that you need in order to step into your power, own your purpose, and stand out in the world as the most vibrant version of you. Because I believe that the more you you are in the world, the more successful and fulfilled you will be. So what do you say? Are you ready? Let's get amplified because blending in is bullshit. All right, what's up everyone? I am super excited to connect with our guest Nathan today. Nathan, thank you so much for joining the show. I'm pumped about this conversation. Fun fact for everyone listening in, aside from the like five minutes we just had, this is Nathan and my first conversation that y'all are getting to hear. (laughs) Thanks for being here. How exciting. Yes. I'm super pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first things first, some rapid fire. What is something that you're grateful for right now? I'm grateful for my kids. Mm. And what's a guilty pleasure of yours? Ooh, oh boy. I'd say Kratom. (laughs) What is that? Kratom. It's like an organic, right? It's plant-based, but it's a leaf. And then it just creates more, I would say, relaxation abilities, tendencies, but it also oh. creates some like laser focus depending on the strain. So either like you're getting like super dialed for work or you're getting really just relaxed and kind of alleviates any pain and stuff like that. It is mildly addictive though. So, you know, okay. there's a caution label there for people, but it's really effective. I've never heard of that. Oh yeah. So if if you have any like local kava bars in your area, normally they'll have that and they can like make these like mocktail mixer things. And it's like an alternative to alcohol. Huh? Like, how about that? Fun fact. What is a random fact that most people don't know about you? I walk around and make monkey and ape noises instead of using actual verbal human communication. So I like have different animal calls for like my kids. So we have like these like (laughs) nonverbal communication tactics. Yeah. Okay. And they respond with their own. Oh yeah. Amazing. There's a part of me that wants to ask you to demonstrate, but I don't know. (laughs) So good. And then a little kid runs in. No, I'm like, yeah, my son is. Yeah. Like, what did you need? (laughs) Awesome. If you weren't doing what you do now, and I know obviously like everyone I have on the show is like actively living their life purpose, doing their soul mission work and all of that. So like, if you wanted to do something else, I know you would be, but if you couldn't do what you're doing now, right? Like, is there a job or career that you're like, Ooh, that like in an alternate universe, I would do this, or that's always looked cool. 
Oh man. I mean, special operations always has like a really near and dear place in my heart. I was actually training for special operations in the military before I got mentally discharged. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I just wanted to go like blow things up and do like crazy recon missions and maybe have a movie made about me or something. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. What did you want to be when you're little? Ironically in school, I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. And then I became a criminal. <laughs> that's an, <laughs> work out too well. You know, I mean, but interestingly, I think sometimes there's like a fine line between those two directions, right? And like law enforcement, even like all of that. Yeah. It's either that or like being a cage fighter. I really okay. wanted to do mixed martial arts as a profession growing up. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. Started training when I was like five and everything. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I know that like fighting has been a big thing in ineffective ways, probably in effective ways as well. So we'll talk about that later for sure. Oh, for sure. Any weird talents or special skills outside of the ape noises? <laughs> Different impressions, like very weird impressions, like Stitch and like Golem from Lord of the Rings. I can do those pretty well. I had a lot of time on my hands as a kid. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to go do those impersonations though. They're... That's okay. <laughs> so there's a theme of like characters, acting, vocal stuff going on that I'm sensing. Okay. Got it. Yeah, for sure. When is the last time that you cried? Yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the last time that you laughed so hard, you almost beat your pants. Oh, wow. I would say it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks okay. ago. I can't remember what it was about, but it must have been good. Yeah. Either that or just so incredibly stupid and silly that it just was inescapable at that point. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite meal? Steak. Just straight steak. Yes. Gosh, I'm two weeks into a 30-day detox, raw vegan detox. Not that you or everyone listening needs to know this right now, but I've been thinking about steak so much the last few days. I'm like, getting closer. <laughs> Almost back. Next place that you want to travel to? I would say Thailand. Okay. Have you ever been? No, I have not. I've been to Bali, been to Japan, but still not Thailand yet. Okay. Amazing. Nice. All right. That's all I got for rapid fire. So we're going to start getting into the meat of everything. So you have a really, really powerful transformation story from being in gangs, selling drugs, addiction to having a wellness business, right? A lot in the fitness space to now in more healing visionary leadership space. I would love to, from your past, like what was that like big kind of like rock bottom pivotal moment that you decided to really like shift things and turn things around? Yeah, it was actually when I got shot at and almost potentially killed after an armed robbery. Went to go rob a heroin dealer with a buddy of mine. And after the whole thing was said and done, running to the truck, backed up, started pulling away. And then the back window just, just like completely shot out in the bullet hole was in the dashboard right in front of me. So at the time I was kind of laughing it off. And of course there was like a traumatic response to that, but it didn't really set in until later that night. And I knew something needed to change. So I reached out to my sister and then her and my mom sat me down and basically told me if I kept doing what I was doing, that I was going to wind up dead or in prison. Mm. And then lo and behold, the uh, military showed up on the high school doorstep next week. And that was it for me. Yeah. And how old were you then? 17 when 17. I signed my contract. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
All right. And I know that in the last year you shifted away from the fitness space and stepped into more healing, somatic work, trauma coaching, like all of that. And I would love for you to explain a bit more about one, why you decided to make that shift, right? And how you really help people. Yeah. It's interesting because I fully left end of last year, but I've had one foot in one foot out of both fields for the last three or four years. I want to say, yeah. cause I've been a breath worker since about 2018. And that's mm-hmm. when I really started diving into mediumship and metaphysical healing work. So like energy work and transpersonal therapies and doing past life regressions and exorcisms. And I got really deep into that world. And I was ultimately just wanting to find something for myself because I needed more than anything. And during that time, I was working with like professional athletes. I was working with people with severe musculoskeletal issues, neurological disorders, fibromyalgia, you know, which is a psychosomatic pain condition, which is actually what ignited my desire to learn more around pain because I was really deep in like pain psychology. Cause when I was in fitness, I was doing more neuromuscular rehab work. So mostly like post chiropractic care to help stabilize adjustments and retrain human movement patterns and overall functionality. So I was kind of that bridge between rehab and fitness. Yeah. And it was great. And I was really good at it until I started bumping up against things that I couldn't help people heal. And when I really started going deeper in the pain psychology, I started looking at the relationship to injury, the relationship to pain. I started really going deeper into mental health performance and how it really affects athletes who have been injured, who are going out and playing on the field or doing something professional and their livelihood was at stake. So over the years, I just continued to deepen my studies and deepen my work just in myself until I started really seeing the connection between the mental and the emotional, the physical and the spiritual, more of this integrative and holistic approach to things where there were so many different pathways of healing for people. It wasn't necessarily like it's this one thing, which in like health, wellness, fitness, anything that has science as an industry standard, it's very much so like it's this way or no way it's right or it's wrong. This is the issue, or this is not the issue. And it's very, you know, dualistic in nature. And there's a dichotomy there that I couldn't really wrap my head around. So I really wanted to go into not just the trauma stuff, but really like the soul's calling soul's purpose, soul's mission, and how we create certain experiences to overcome and maybe heal certain, you know, issues or challenges, obstacles that are divine lessons that we're really selecting and choosing from a place of willpower versus victimhood. Because when that really happens, that's really the path of empowerment, you know, and when self-awareness and personal power can meet, then magic happens. That's alchemy. Mm -hmm. So really that's the work now. It's more so alchemy work more than anything, how to actually transcend certain limitations or how to alchemize certain aspects of ourselves that might not be healthy, whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically into a more unified and embodied state to where we can really live and create the life that we desire. And we can have the relationships that we know we deserve 
And we don't have to feel any shame or blame around the adversity that we face. And that's really my mission is really helping people overcome those adversities and to transcend those limitations and heal from the inside out and do it in a way that's more simple Mm -hmm. because that's really what I found to be the most beneficial. It's that like simplicity is what's sustainable because I found so many not so sustainable ways to go around things. And the fitness industry taught me that more than anything. (laughs) Yeah. Now it's like, oh, bulking season, cutting season. But at the end of the day, there was never any consistency. There was never any constant and just this irregular pathway that never really resonated for me. And I really wanted to find a more sustainable approach to live my life and cultivate the most amount of joy that I could in every moment that I really desire to be present and able and willing to live my life consciously versus just falling into the habitual or condition programs that, you know, we're all fed from a really young age. Amazing. I love that. And what would you say, like, what are the things that you support clients with the most, or like the struggles that people come to you most often with? Definitely trauma work for sure. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, they're like, I have this thing and I don't really know how to get past it. And I'm kind of lost, right? I hear that people are lost a lot. I hear people that are you know, kind of addicted to their own suffering or they're Mm -hmm. struggling with, you know, not finding fulfillment or meaning or purpose in what they're doing, whether that's occupationally or relationally, and just really helping them become more present in life. You know, a lot of people I work with feel like they're disconnected, not just from their body or from their purpose, but really just disconnected from other people. You know, they're unable to sustain a healthy relationship they have inconsistencies and incongruencies in their health. And they're starting to, you know, how start having these different symptoms start to arise, whether it's Lyme's disease or, you know, just constantly being sick from being burnt out and mentally overwhelmed. So resilience work, stress management, trauma resolution work is, is really what people are looking for now more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so like, it's interesting because in the coaching space, and we'll talk about this not right now, but I know we talked before we hit record on like some buzzy things in the coaching industry and all of that, but on the positive, right? There's so much more awareness around the trauma stuff and around the importance of somatic healing and everything like that. And yeah, I want to get to more of the trauma, those things in a little bit, but I want to touch kind of briefly on the addiction and recovery stuff. Cause I know that was been a huge part of your journey and that you didn't necessarily go the like route, right. Or the like completely sober route in the sense that you don't do anything now. I'm really curious to hear like, what is that? Like, how did you get sober, like overcome your addiction stuff? And now how does that work for you in still being able to partake in plant medicine stuff, or even like, you know, have a beer every once in a while, those things. I'm really curious because it's not a one size fits all kind of solution, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a really big topic of my life just because I still, to this day, run into addictive patterns, tendencies, yeah. thought processes, coping patterns, mechanisms. And it's almost harder now to navigate addiction because I am hyper aware of these things. It's like painful hyper awareness. It's like, I know why I want to do these things. And I know why I want to seek these things out, even if they're unhealthy, 
And there's a part of me that really enjoys it, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like the darkness that we were talking about before, which I'm sure we'll get to, but yes, I never really resonated with sobriety, right? Mm-hmm. I've always been more along the path of recovery because the path of recovery is not so much abstinence and it's not like taking things away, right? I feel like that's a very childlike way to go about it. If I'm being honest to say, oh, well, this isn't good, or this isn't healthy, or this isn't serving the narrative. So we're going to take these things away. It's like childhood, right? Oh, you didn't act good at school, or you didn't do what we wanted you to do. So we're going to take your video games away, or we're going to take this away, or we're going to take this away. And I never liked that as a kid. I really didn't. And that's probably, there's a lot of programs that are running within me that probably are very much against that type of approach. So I wanted to find a more empowered place of doing it. And I got sober by leaving for the military Mm -hmm. and I was detoxing in basic training, like the first week because I had from heroin, right? Yeah. How'd that go? (laughs) Not fun. Well, (laughs) it's not fun. I would not recommend it ever to anyone. Please see like professional care. But if you don't like, you'll get through it eventually, you know, I'm still here. So for what it's worth, (laughs) (laughs) but then I started realizing, right. It's like, I took the heroin away. Right. But then that's kind of where I started developing this addiction to fitness. That's how I got into fitness because I was addicted to chaos and pain and suffering and violence. Like that's what got me into fitness to begin with is because I got in a fight on my 19th birthday. And then they basically said, well, you're not allowed to leave base. So you can go eat food. You can go to church or you can go to the gym. Like those are my three options. And I was an atheist at the time. So I only ate a lot of food, went to the gym, ate a lot of food, went to the gym. And that's where I started developing this pattern because that's all addiction is. It's just patterns of coping and it's just a solution to avoid or maybe to move away from the uncomfortable shit that's underneath it, right? Also known as trauma. It's all trauma related. And there's a part of me that didn't want to confront that because I wasn't ready for it. So something had to serve me in a way that provided me a sense of peace and ease so I can just navigate life from a functional perspective. So of course I ran into alcoholism and, you know, when I got out of the military, I got into bodybuilding and that was an addiction of itself. You know, it's addiction to the image or the persona or the lifestyle or the validation from people, you know, oh, you look so great. You look so great. Cool. So I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) because clearly putting on layers and layers of muscle and armor were safer to me than actually just being who I was and just being myself. And then the hand injury happened. And then I started losing my worth and my value there. And then I started going into this work, you know, and even healing became almost like an addiction for me because it's this thing that I've constantly had to navigate of not being enough. And that's really where my addiction stems from. It's not enough or I don't feel good enough or I'm not worthy enough or I'm not pretty enough or whatever the story was in the background that was running it. And that's really what has just kind of catalyzed this journey for me, I guess is the best way to say it to where I don't have an attachment to the substance because it's not the substance, which is the issue. It's not the actual surface of the addiction. It's the wiring that's underneath it. It's like looking at a car and saying, oh, like your dashboard isn't working properly, but we're not going to check the wiring. We're just going to switch out the dash or we're going to change the lights and we'll see if that works. 
But that's exactly why we see the rates that we do with AA or recovery centers. And that's why the turnover rate and the 24 hour ejection rate or whatever, you know, it's called when they sign themselves out, we see so many common themes and patterns that sobriety is not necessarily the most effective way to go about it, but how to develop a new relationship to your addiction and how to develop a new relationship to substance and how to actually use substance with intention, which is what plant medicine taught me. It kind of over the years now has formed an acceptance around it, knowing that I have an addictive personality and that's okay. And I don't judge it. I just recognize it and I'm able to navigate it with grace and ease. And it no longer has this looming or impending doom hanging over my head where I just feel all the shame for not doing the quote unquote right thing by society's mm-hmm. standards or what people would maybe diagnose as a problem mm-hmm. when it's actually a solution. And yeah. really, I'm just wanting to connect deeper to the part of me that wants to feel better. And it wasn't until I found this work that I started developing healthy coping skills and having resources and having certain skills or systems to help me navigate those times where I really just don't want to be present Mm -hmm. because that's really what it is too. I just don't want to be present and I want a break. I want some relief and that's what drugs, alcohol, medicine, that's what they do. They provide a sense of relief and they have a certain purpose. So I don't really necessarily believe in sobriety. Mm-hmm. because if that were the case, then it's like, wow, I'm going to live my life from a place of lack or a place of, I can't trust myself with a substance Yeah. when that statement is not coming from an empowered place. Right. It's coming exactly, from a like, place of distrust. Mm-hmm. And that may work for many people and be super effective and all of that. But yeah, exactly what you said. It's not about the substance itself, even though yes, many are inherently addictive, right? But you can make anything addictive, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're like, oh, weed's not addictive. I'm like, yeah, tell that to me in 2022, boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, it's yeah, what is underneath that? And like I'm curious to your thoughts, because I know you said with fitness, but what I know like of people who are sober who or who have gone to rehab, AA, like done that whole process, like typically it does show up in another way, whether that's becoming a workaholic, how they do dating or women, like that kind of stuff. Like when that's coming up for you, what are your like first go-to tools and, or do you then be like, Ooh, I'm noticing like this, that addictive energy coming up. Can I channel it into a way that's actually going to be effective and useful? Like how does, Mm -hmm. so I guess two questions there, like what are your main tools and do you sometimes run with it, but redirect it? Yeah. So I'm going to answer this in two parts. Number one, There are so many moments where I'm just like, fine, I'm going to let myself go and I'll let myself spiral. And at the end of the spiral, I'm going to learn a lesson. Like Mm -hmm. there are so many moments that I do that and I allow myself to do it because I'm curious. Like I'm curious, like what's on the other side of this one? It's like another adventure. But at the same time, you know, it's also like this experiment around trust and surrender knowing that I can trust that my impulsivity or compulsivity will not lead me down the same road it led me down before. And I'm able to see and recognize how it's really showing up without shaming or blaming anything and just taking full fucking ownership of it. 
Like, I feel like there's such a beauty in that for me, at least. Whereas that might not be the case for people because like you said, like some people are in a place where they cannot trust themselves with substance. And I think that's a great place for somebody to be aware, you know, and to really lean into that more if that's the case. For me, that's not, but I've also been like working with these patterns for hell, like half my life. So it's become just another aspect of the human existence for me, really. But when I do get to those places and it's like, oh, this is one step away from getting really bad. Like this is one step away from like picking up the phone and making a call to the wrong person. Mm. And it's in that moment where I'm like, okay, first tool, like get the fuck out get away, like zoom out, create some space and then breath work. Really? It's like breath work will activate the uncomfortable emotion. And then I can find a way to express or move that emotion. And that's a lot of what we talk about with like emotional transfiguration work, right? Cause there's like emotional intelligence, which is like a cognitive, I can label this thing and I have verbal affluency. And then there's like the emotional mastery piece where it's like, I'm unfuck withable and nothing's going to mess with me, but there has to be the space in between for transfiguration to find a more healthy expression of it. Whether that's through an emotional release technique, if I need to kick and scream or punch or whatever. And sometimes it might be just be like a low moan, right? It doesn't have to be cathartic. It can simply just be giving the sensation some level of awareness and movement to it, to where it doesn't become bottled inside of me to where then it just starts to bleed into other areas of my life. And that's the biggest piece. It's to just find a way to move it. Like the best tools are in breath, sound and movement. You know, how do we get energy moving? And that's really ultimately how simple it can be. Right. Cause I could, you know, sit there and, you know, dissect my entire psychology if I want to, but like how much time and energy and effort am I really going to put into this versus just being able to like move it and then reassess, you know, it's like assess, test, reassess, assess, test, reassess. And it's very simple, super simple. And it might not be that simple for most people, but having a set of tools like deep breathing exercises and some like vocal toning exercises and some vibratory exercises that get sensations and things moving in the body so they don't become bottled up. That is probably the most effective method to move anything, whether it's addiction or not. Yeah. I know you mentioned in a podcast episode and you probably talked about it other places, like with your addictive patterns, like, yes, there were substances. Yes. There was fitness. It's shown up in so many ways, which is typically true. And I believe you mentioned something around codependency in relationships. Is that accurate? Can you oh, yes. share a bit about how that looked for you? Because <laughs> Oh yeah, we're going down this road. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So from what I know now, there was a lot of narcissistic and codependency playing with one another because that's how they normally work, yes. which I'll get to in a minute. But I was a pathological narcissist. <laughs> And I was extremely dependent upon my partner's validation around her presence. And I didn't trust her with anything because I didn't trust myself with anything because I had lived with just years of shame and years of judgment and years of all this other stuff. And I was definitely could have been clinically diagnosed with having NPD. And 
that was really hard for me to look at. But when she left me and I came home to an empty apartment and a restraining order pretty much or an order of protection, then I realized like, wow, I'm kind of the problem here. And I really had to sit with that. Like I couldn't eat. I could barely function. I didn't want to get out of bed for like three to five days after that breakup. And that was in May of 2019. And I really had to take a really hard look at myself because I was codependent. I was extremely narcissistic, which both are just defense mechanisms. Yeah. Really ultimately counterparts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that is learned as well. There's the safety and defense mechanisms. And there's also the psychological dynamic that happens with like narcissistic and codependent relationships. Cause nine times out of 10, they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And for me, at least I was bouncing between one and the other. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm the narcissist because I think that's super buzzy in today's society. Like, Oh, my ex was an asshole. So he's a narcissist, but that's not what a narcissist is. Right. It's It's thrown around so much. Right. And I was like fluctuating between those two archetypes, between those two like characters. And one day I was extremely good with myself. And the next day I was super insecure and very controlling and very domineering. And then the next day after that, I was like very whiny and childlike and needed you know, attention because there was like this wounded boy who just needed a hug from his mom and all these stories and narratives that played out for a a lot of years in adulthood, which ultimately led to the downfall of many relationships. (laughs) And even today, I still deal with that stuff. I still deal with the need or desire to have validation once in a while. And I think that's completely normal. Yeah, as long as absolutely. it's communicated in a healthy way. Right. Mm-hmm. But I was not communicating that in a healthy way whatsoever. I was controlling and manipulating to get what I wanted, not knowing it's what I wanted. So mm-hmm. it started playing out in all of these distorted and really toxic ways. And I wasn't okay with that. Like I really wasn't okay with that. Cause I didn't want my daughter or my son to grow up seeing that's how dad acts. Mm-hmm. You know, like I grew up in a household where there was definitely like a narcissistic codependent thing happening. And I thought that was normal, right? I Mm -hmm. thought fighting was normal. I thought that the big explosive arguments and the makeup sex was normal. When in reality, that was far from healthy, Mm -hmm. far from healthy. And it was addictive. That cycle was addictive, right? Just to kind of touch back on the initial question. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I don't think I've heard you. I mean, just in that quick mention of codependency on a podcast episode of yours that I listened to, I was like, oh, we're definitely going to go talk about this. But I don't think I've heard you in social media or other things really talk about narcissism much. And that, as the audience knows, is a thing that I've talked about on the show quite a bit. And the codependent narcissist trauma bond loop, like ancestral stuff is very much part of my lineage. And 2022 was like my big year of breaking that narcissistic, like reprogramming that, like deleting that pattern. And, and it's very interesting. I'm going to like mirror back to you just real quick, because when you said that I was a, when you're like, Oh, I was a pathological narcissist. Like my body was like, Nope. You know, even though like, like I wouldn't have you on the show, but like, (laughs) if there were any concerns or anything like that, but it's so interesting how even for me, right? Like having been 
very much in the past and still like, fuck, yesterday I ended something with a guy within 48 hours. I'm like, nope, it's all the like obnoxious, like future stuff, like ridiculous mm-hmm. gifts already. Like on first, I'm like, nope, nope, this is done. Wow. We have, this is ending immediately because this doesn't, because there was one moment of like not getting his way. And it like, you saw that I saw the other side. I was like, oh, okay, bye. And so like that, like being attracted to and attracting narcissists has been very much like part of my story and journey. And it's something that I'm so fascinated by from a trauma standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, right? Because yes, typically people who are in those dynamics, because as you said, like the narcissist codependent typically go hand in hand and same sort of thing, right? Like grew up seeing that. I can trace it back like generations even. And yeah, and it fascinates me so much because I think it's such a multi-layered and very, very spiritual thing happening too. And I'd be curious to know like your thoughts on it as like a spiritual battle too. Mm-hmm. Because with narcissists, right? Like it's siphoning energy, confidence, whatever it is worth from whoever they're targeting. Right. And then similarly, like the codependent isn't necessarily like, oh, I'm so innocent. Right. It looks different, but the codependent is still getting a void filled, but in a different way. Right. Oh yeah. This is probably one of my favorite things to dissect. And I don't know if you saw, I did a recent podcast where I said that a narcissist is simply a wounded child who needed to become their hero of their own story because the hero they once needed wasn't there for them. Mm. which is a very conflicting thing because narcissistic abuse is very real. So on behalf of my own experience of it, there are apologies to be made, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not okay. No form of abuse is okay. Nothing that jeopardizes or compromises someone's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual well-being is okay. And I'm just going to preface that because what I'm about to say is going to challenge a lot of narratives around it. Because what I believe a narcissist is from a trauma standpoint is just a really hurt child who doesn't, one, know how to manage or navigate their emotions, two, who doesn't really understand or has never really experienced what true unconditional love is, Mm -hmm. and three, that they are simply, again, just acting out their wounds in a way that they aren't even aware of because they feel or think that it's normal based on what they observed as a child. Right. So from like a trauma psychological standpoint, that's what I feel it is. And from a spiritual point, I think that is, and this is where a lot of my work is, which I haven't really figured out how to actually navigate this because there's not many people in the world who's like, I'm a narcissist. I want to work with you. I want to overcome my shit. It's nearly impossible, right. For them to get into some sort of treatment. Like when you're really like NPD diagnosable, typically like at least in the research and I'm like, not that I'm an expert on this, but I've done a fuck ton of research on it for my own healing and understanding and like to break patterns, understand my family, like all this stuff is like, unfortunately, typically they're not going to, that stuff isn't going to get healed because it's been so fragmented from an early age, right? Right. That empathy gap usually can't get 
quote unquote fixed, right? Which is mm-hmm. so what you were saying with like, they're just really hurt children, like which makes oh, breaks my fucking heart. Cause it's like, ah, it didn't have to turn out this way. And like, this happened just when you were a little kid or like early teen or something like that. Like, yeah, but they're not going to have that awareness. And even if there's an idea of it, looking at that damages that, like you said, that hero facade so much or threatens that, that it's way too scary to even look at. Right. And there is like the other side of it, right? Because it also stems from being over glorified, right? Mm -hmm. As a child, which one, I had both, right? I had one hero not showing up and the other person making it or presenting the idea that nothing was ever wrong with me and I'm perfect and all these other things. So I had both sides of the spectrum going, right? Because that is a thing. And even to what you're talking about, right? I feel like there is a cure. There is a fix. It's just not what Western society has even presented because then they would be presenting a holistic option for treatment, which is really, in my opinion, this is just an opinion. I feel like for a narcissist to heal their narcissistic wounds, they cannot be rescued from their rock bottom. Like they need to hit rock bottom and then they need to be abandoned. And that's really quite literally what I had to go through. And that's the spiritual piece. It's that they are calling the opportunity forward again and again and again, relationship after relationship after relationship, abuse after abuse after abuse, because I think somewhere deep on a soul level, they're seeking to be abandoned because if they seek to be abandoned, then what happens is on the other side of abandonment is that they learn to love themselves and they learn to not abandon themselves anymore and actually come to the truth of what lives inside of them, which is pain. And I think on a deep spiritual soul level, they crave it. And they may not be aware of that because who wants to come out of their closet and just be like, oh, I want to be abandoned today. That sounds like a great idea. No, we don't sign up for that shit. Right. But it also (laughs) at the same time is like the ego reinforces that, right? So it could be like, oh, my soul needs to get abandoned so that I can actually do the healing and feel the pain. But then the ego is also creating situations where they're going to get abandoned because then, well, see, there was something wrong with them, right? See, I'm right. Like, yeah. da, 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 like all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And they have to be willing. Right. And that's, again, I can say for myself, like, I feel like I healed my own NPD. I was never diagnosed by doctors, mm-hmm. but I've got plenty of assessments that I took myself. And it's like, oh yeah, dude, you're like an extreme narcissist. Yeah. You know, I've taken one to be like a psychopath. I'm a moderate grade psychopath. And it honestly makes me question <laughs> the Western medicine system a lot right? Like I go really deep into the DSM five and what's considered a diagnosis, what's considered something that can be treatable or untreatable. How are these things even being navigated? Because there hasn't really been any integrative or holistic solutions for these things. It's all been clinical grade psychotherapy treatment and cognitive behavioral therapies and stuff like that, which again, I have my own opinions about it, but I feel like it reinforces the story. Yeah. Like the talk therapy reinforces that again and again and again. Are you familiar with the term dark empath? Yeah. Okay. Thoughts? I mean, I personally, I love anything dark related. I'm fascinated by it. I really am like dark psychology, dark empathy, looking at the more manipulative and sadistic sides of human behavior. It's fascinating. And I ask that because... And obviously like, I'm not here to like diagnose or, or say anything about who you are, you know, yourself well, right. Like, but with that thing of like, 
and I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Romani and her stuff on. Yeah. And so, so much of what she said, like, I think she's a genius. I literally told one of my girlfriends yesterday, I was like, I think when I'm like older and like in that season of my life, I'm probably going to like study narcissism, sociopathy, like all this kind of stuff. She's like, I mean, aren't you already there? (laughs) Not exactly, but yeah, she's like, you have enough field experience. I'm like, fuck off. But because like that empathy gap is typically like with MPD, like non-recoverable, right? Like I often feel like the, a dark empath can show up as a narcissist, right? But that empathy is still available. And because I know in my own experience as the like former codependent, super, super empath, right? Like there have been plenty of times in my life where I know that there have been those forks in the road where I'm like, I could choose to fucking dissociate and be dark as shit and not care at all Mm -hmm. and destroy everything in my path. And like, there have been times when I've done that, you know, and typically I've chosen the other path, which I think was the right way to go, of course. And like you were saying too, like the number of times I've also searched am I a sociopath? Like, gosh, this is going to so get like used against me one day. But like, typically, like if you're like looking up, am I a sociopath? Am I a narcissist? Like there's like that rule, like generally that means you're probably not because you at least have the level of self-awareness to be questioning things or having thoughts about self-reflection, which typically a narcissist or a sociopath is not going to do. And they're different things, narcissists and sociopaths. But yeah, so I was curious with that dark empathy thing, because I wouldn't choose to do that, but I know how I could, right? Like mm-hmm. I know very easily how I could step into the energy of a narcissist and be completely dissociated and stuff like that. But I also know that I experience true empathy on like such a deep, deep, real level. And yeah, yeah so I was curious your thoughts with the dark empathy versus, because oh, yeah. I think it can manifest in a same kind of way. For sure. I mean, it all boils down to choice. And that's ultimately dependent on awareness. Like, you know, your capacity to do harm if you really wanted to, and you have range to recognize that you have options available where most people don't, right? Like there's a lot of people, and I will say that they suffer from this because I remember how deeply I was suffering without acknowledging the suffering. (laughs) And I was creating my own suffering, which was just, you know, destructive chaos all around me all the time. There was never safety. There was never security. There was never stability. And of course, even with the dark empathy thing, I think, right. And again, with like darkness work, I think that even dark paths, right. They serve the role, right. They serve the role. We have to have some type of duality in everything. And if we haven't really quite accessed true empathy, then dark empathy is just the unconscious expression of somebody trying to be empathic, right? Mm. They're trying to connect to empathy that they haven't recognized they have available to them. So therefore feed off of other people's stuff, right? Because inherently we're all born to be empathic, right? It's hardwired into our biology. We all have mirror neurons. I have yet to meet a human being who has raised their hand and said, I was born without mirror neurons. And until that happens, I believe that everybody is empathic to some degree. Absolutely. If people choose empathy, that's a different story, right? Love is a choice. Empathy is a choice. Everything is choice. And a lot of people might disagree with that, right? Because there is the 
victim, villain, hero, right? The drama triangle at play all the time. And until people realize that it's even a thing, then it's always going to rule their life, right? It's like Carl Jung says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it'll rule your life and you will call it fate. Mm -hmm. But how many people are really able or willing to look at their more sadistic or sinister sides of their human nature and come to a place of love, acceptance and peace with them? Not many, because a lot of people will deny that they even have that, mm -hmm. right? Like the people who say, oh, I'm not an angry person. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. Because everybody experiences anger to some degree. It's just something that is inside of you that doesn't agree with, what's, with what's happening outside of you. That's all anger is. And to say that we're not angry people, we're just going to push that part away. And those are the people that probably go and set movie theaters on fire and shit are the people mm -hmm. who, you know, love and light their way through everything. And I feel like to some degree, it doesn't have to be that extreme, but can we really acknowledge that we all have an empath and a dark empath? It just depends on the circumstance and situation and the mirror in front of us that's willing to challenge it to see where we're going to show up from, because mm -hmm. that is like the spiritual evolutionary path. It's can I choose my higher self's perspective versus my lower body self's perspective? And can I learn to dance with that and actually become more sovereign and autonomous over time with the power of choice? Yeah. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> I love that. And I definitely like, we're going to shift into the darkness stuff, but I have a theory because as we already said, with these sorts of like personality disorders and conflicts and stuff like that and struggles that yes, there can be environmental factors, genetic factors, like lifestyle factors, like mental, emotional, spiritual, you name it. And I, on the spiritual level, typically or have the belief that like these sorts of things with like the darkness, the narcissism, the sociopathy, whatever it is, like have a dark entity attachment on them. And it's that you were saying like that choosing you're smirking at me. I'm going to know why in a second, <laughs> but choosing between the dark empath and the light empath. Right. And like playing that game, because we all have the capacity for it. Right. We all have the capacity for light and dark. And what often breaks my heart with people who are choosing that dark direction, whether it's so I dated a sociopath, like I don't use these words lightly <laughs> sociopath at the end of last year. And it's so sad because it's not like most people don't start this way. Right. And so it's just to them choosing that path, that dark path or giving their power to whatever that fucking demon is that is on them over and over and over again to where it locks on so hard that they can't find or like can't recognize, can't find that light version of them. Thoughts, smirks, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. Yeah. I mean, I love the conversation around like entity attachments because there is a spiritual warfare happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Spiritual intervention is a very real thing to some degree. Yeah. And I think even in reference to like the double slit experience or the double slit experiment where the observable reality is the only one that's true, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with that test or that study mm -hmm. that was done, but they basically shot this beam, right? And it started to split in two different pathways. And they recorded that only one stream that was observed was the only one that was actually real, right? So I think that perception has a lot to do with that game, mm -hmm. dependent on what somebody believes to be true and what they're creating on, in their reality on a quantum level, right? And this is a much 
deeper exploration who knows another episode or something like that but for me and i used to do work with like past life regression exorcism yeah. and ntd attachment yeah. work and i was really deep in that work like i was like gung-ho like let's get you on the table we're going to go through a three-hour session we're going to scrub the sewers of your soul we're going to take the demonic thoughts that you carried over into this life and we're going to retrieve them and exile them and all these things and it just started draining my energy so much because the more attention and the more power I gave to that ideology, the more I started realizing that it's becoming more and more real for me. And I started realizing more darker manifested thoughts, more darker manifested experiences. And I stepped away from that belief. And as you can imagine, my reality shifted drastically. Yeah. And I started realizing, and this is where a lot of Carl Jung's work and, and Wilhelm Reich's work have predominantly influenced the core of my work to recognize that in the collective unconscious, we're able to see entities, right? Or externalize things as parts and pieces of ourselves. So maybe zoom out a little bit and look at an entity as just a mirror for something that needs to be addressed or reconciled within ourselves. Then how are we to say that it's an evil or dark demonic attachment? when it could just be a part of us that hasn't been addressed or reconciled, right? Mm. I think the repression of one's darker side or of their more sinister side, you know, I'm working constantly at not familiarizing darkness with sinister aspects of self because that is just the human condition. But when we really look at it, we're able to see that through these sinister sides, right? We have our own demons. And that's even what I posted one time. It's like, I don't run from my demons. I get to know their names mm -hmm. because these are all just parts of ourselves wanting to be expressed, wanting to be addressed, wanting to be reconciled because there's something, an energy source that lives underneath it, whether that's from a last life, if you believe in reincarnation, or if it's this life through childhood, pre-verbal, post-verbal, it heavily relies on someone's perception of reality and what they really subscribe to. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel like it's this blanketed thing, right? Or else we'd be looking through the lens of religion. Yeah. If that were the case, we'd be saying that there are angels and demons versus just all of these externalized things being expressions as symbols of our unconscious and what's happening underneath the surface, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And question for you on that then, which I don't know that you're saying this, but so do you not believe that there can be like evil entities that are not like part of your subconscious or connected to you that can come in? Now I'm like going a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> I think to, to a certain degree, right? That's why I reference like this double slit and perceived reality being the primary core driver influence. Because when I've sat in ayahuasca ceremonies, you know, I've seen dark things lurking over people. And I've been in that space and I've recognized that, but who's to say that wasn't someone's in the room that was just yeah. expressing itself as someone was in medicine, right? Who am I to determine what is real or what's not real for someone else? But what I observe is that could be, yes, externalized in a way that it doesn't belong to anybody. And it's just here to cause havoc and destruction or I can see it as, especially in medicine spaces, because it happens quite mm -hmm. often. And a lot of people have these experiences, which I think is normal. But when I see that, you know, who am I to judge, 
right? Who it belongs to or yeah. what it's doing here on earth, right? Because who knows, that could just be a divine messenger in shadow form. Yeah. Because I think that is the part of the shadow and the darkness. It's just like the moon. There's a white side where the sun hits and then there's a dark side of the moon, but does it change the quality of the moon or the influence it has on the earth or the planetary alignment? Not necessarily. Yeah. I think that darkness and shadow is just the other side to the higher self that can't be seen. And that's as simple as it can be. Yeah. And with the thought that like that stuff, whatever we're thinking of it as is always there, right? But it's like, where is that counterpoint or where is it being magnetized to? And what I'm thinking through with this on my end, which I literally just mentioned, like had after a while had a, a little, you know, narcissist experience in the last several days. And there was kind of like a peak moment of it. Like, and again, you know, the playbook with this kind of stuff, it's like within the first 24 hours, right. Seeing those extreme signs and stuff. And I, started to put up like a block and be like, doesn't feel right. And then like got the like barrage of like calls, 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 text, 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 all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that evening, like this was a few days ago that evening, because now recognize it. I'm not attracted to it though. At the same time we can say, okay, then why'd you, what made you go on the date in the first place? Cause there was a party that was attracted to it. Right. I'm <laughs> like, ah, ha, you know? <laughs> and so like that night I'm like, nope, this has to end because I see all these signs, like all this kind of stuff. Right. Like I know what this is. And I felt calm, ground, uh, we're going to say a certain level of calm. There was some heightened emotions because this individual wildly well-connected, no surprise. Right. And, but my house, I could feel tons of fucking energy that was not mine. And so with what you're saying with that, because there was a part of me that was being like, oh, the like narcissist demon is in my house right now, like playing with that. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to fucking sage. I'm like, we're taking a bath, like doing all the things. And there's a part that goes like, oh, like get out of my house, you know, but it's like, oh, but kind of with what you're saying, it's like, no, I reactivated, right. Or I like poured a little gasoline on the codependent parts of me that I have done a lot of work to heal. And so those kind of woke up a little. And so they reactivated whatever that energy was ready to drop in. So like, oh, it's so fun oh, being a fucking human, right? <laughs> So yeah, different perspective. Like if we are tuned to that, which like I, in that moment was slightly more tuned to that, you know, like that energy can swoop in more because it's finding its counterpoint in you in a way. Right. And there is a beauty in that, which thanks for sharing that because yeah. when we do heal these wounds, whether it's narcissistic or codependent or both, as we discussed earlier, then what happens is that we accept the challenge to welcome it back in to see how we respond. And that's part of the process. It's how did I respond? Did I respond 1% better? Did I honor my worth? Did I set a boundary? Did I not cave into the unfamiliar to the more familiar and unhealthy patterns that I'm so accustomed to, or the version of me who once was so accustomed to those things? And can I now use that as objective information to say, I'm growing, I'm healing, I'm advancing, I'm recovering from this thing that used to run my life, from this thing that used to drive and determine all of my actions and behaviors. Yeah. And now can I recognize that the consequences of my actions are far more less? And can I actually give myself grace and acknowledge how far I've come? Like that is a huge thing that not many people recognize, right? Because it's either like stiff arm, get the fuck out of here. Everybody needs to get away. 
or it's like, cool, I'll let you in, but then like, watch what I do with this, yeah. right? Which your story and what you shared is just a testimony of that. And I think that's important to acknowledge because some people think that like, oh, I've come into contact with these parts of me and now I'm, you know, quote unquote healed. But in reality, all I've done is just accept more challenges. So people are thinking, oh, I've healed my codependency. So now no narcissist can come into my field, but actually it's going to magnetize more of them. Yeah. At a bigger level. It's going to attract more of them at a much bigger level. I was like, I'm sorry, what senator is coming to your house? Interesting. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Wow. Why did you have to share that with me to make yourself important? Oh, good for you. Right. Like that kind of shit. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. You know, like, oh, all these deliveries coming to my house. Okay. You know, yeah, but it was a different level, right? Yeah. And okay, so this I think transitions us beautifully into the theme of darkness as your dharma, which I absolutely am aligned to as well. Like so much of the time, what we teach as healers, visionaries, light workers, whatever we want to call it, is the shit that we've gone through, grown through, transformed mm-hmm. through most, and still often are playing with, right? And I was talking to my psychic about this a few, or my intuitive healer, right? Like a few weeks ago about this stuff. And she's like, well, yeah, like obviously like the biggest light workers are going to have to play with the most darkness and bullshit. Cause like, then how are you going to do your mission? Know all that stuff. I'm like, <laughs> like bye. But what did so, I sign up for? Exactly. And I know too. And so one of my shifts also with the healing roller coaster is such wild journey. And there was a long time of mine with the narcissism stuff and the codependency stuff where I felt like I couldn't trust myself. I felt like I was fundamentally fucked up and like just wired in a way that like would never be repaired sort of thing. And once I like moved through that phase, I got to a point where I was like, no, this is like, so part of my mission on this planet is to fucking transmute that energy and support others with that kind of stuff too, where it's exactly that, right? Like that darkness, that dark stuff is sole purpose work. So let's talk about darkness as Dharma. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the journey, right? It's like, I've healed these things, or at least I perceivably heard these (laughs) heal these things. And therefore now I want to help everybody else with it. Right. Which is like the Dharmic pathway, Mm -hmm. you know, cause there's, at least for me, it's felt quite heavy over the last several years and it's just become lighter because for a really long time, and I'm sure that you might, and anyone listening to this might resonate that it's almost like this work became my karmic retribution. Like, I feel like this work that I'm doing now, like I had to do it to make up for my sins or whatever that it was. And it didn't quite have the beauty it did until recently, as I've said. So when I look at like darkness to Dharma now, it's like, wow, like, For so many years, I tried to make up for my darkness when in reality, the darkness is exactly the path that was required without me even having to do anything, right? And it doesn't have to necessarily be in like my work in the world or my business or the work I do with clients or, you know, the companies that I do and like all this stuff where it's like achievement, you know, to make up for these things that I've done. And I treated it like that for a really long time. Until I really realized that the Dharmic path was simply just the opportunities and the lessons to learn to love myself, whether or not I was helping people or not. Because by me loving myself and showing up as who I am and how I be in the world, 
it was healing for people just in conversations, whether they are my clients or not. Yeah. Right. So how many women, right. Actually maybe have a taste of healing right through me now, just because I'm willing and able to say, yeah, I fucked up and I did some fucked up shit and I know it. And I'm working on it every single day because just hearing that, and I've had plenty of women reflect that back to me that it's like, wow, even though I might never hear those words from my abuser or from my ex or from my perpetrator or whatever, I at least have some sense or some idea that men like you or men that are willing to accept their fault are out there, which gives me hope that I don't need to carry this story that all men are like this anymore. And it's something simple like that. And I just use women as a reference point because I'm like, a walking trigger for most women, like absolutely. And I know this because most people don't expect me to be how I am because of how I look, which mm. I've had to work on that for a lot of years. Oh, gosh, right. Right. Like pretty privilege. It's a fucking terrible thing. You don't look like you'd be smart. Oh, yeah, nice. exactly. Right. I didn't expect that to come out of your mouth. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's the number one thing, but that's what I'm saying, right? It doesn't have to be just women, right? Cause it can be like, and I do a lot of work with men, you know, and just like, the guy who's like big and muscly and tattooed with a faux hawk who, you know, walks around and he looks strong and he, like he's a badass, but like, wow, this dude's actually nice to me. And that kind of reframes my idea of this type of guy in the world, because the only men I attribute to that are assholes or bullies. Hmm. Right. And that's healing, right. To know that not all people are here to hurt you. And just to know that, if it exists, then it's possible. And if that can be my dharmic path, just to show myself more than anyone that I'm not the asshole I thought I was for so many years, and I'm actually a really nice, loving, compassionate man. And I can admit that without feeling weak or insecure about who might judge me, then that's my dharma, right? Because I know I have years and lives and lineages of savages and killers and warriors and everything. And that now that I'm able to come to a place where that's not who I have to be, but there is that part of me that if I need it, it is there. And I have choice and I have the ability to recognize when and how I show up in the way that nature demands of me, then now I'm able to actually interact and function in society. And I'm able to contribute to my community, whether that's attached to my work or if it's just attached to who I am in the world. And I feel like if more people were to look at it through that lens, there might be a lot less pressure in like the coaching space to like show up, right? Or to be a certain way or to show up a certain way or be at a certain level until, you know, X, Y, or Z conditions can be met. Mm -hmm. I feel like if that were maybe the pathway that everybody would look through, then, you know, we'd all be a little bit easier on ourselves. We might not put as much pressure to perform and our Dharma can simply just be fully loving ourselves to the best of our ability. And if we can help people along the way, then fucking great because it doesn't need to happen in a session, right? It can happen just in passing, you know, and I watched that documentary by Gabriel Mate and it changed my whole perspective and how I show up because he was talking about in this documentary, which I would strongly recommend 
What's the name of the name of it? Of it space, but if people okay. just look up the Gabriel Mate documentary, it's something wisdom, okay. the wisdom of trauma. I think it is. Yeah. But in the documentary, they were talking about how people walk past homeless people every single day. Like people look down on them and walk past them every single day because there's this assumption that they're drug addict or they're crazy or something else. And that really landed for me because I'm like, well, I was a drug addict and I'm crazy in a lot of fucking ways. And there's no difference between them and me. So why have I been walking past these people for so many years without even acknowledging them? And I started doing that more routinely. And I can't tell you how many people have their lives changed because I said, hello, Mm. I didn't even need to give them money. I just said, Hey, how's your day going? And that changed their whole life because they're like, you're the first person who's talked to me in months. And I thought for a moment that I didn't even exist in this reality because nobody would talk to me and to validate someone's reality, to let them know, Hey, you're still human and I can still see you. And there are people who give a shit that changes somebody's perspective of the entire world around them. That's Dharma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say is the like darkness that you get to play with the most Mm. still? Yeah. I'm kind of branding it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of branding it right now. It's spiritual psychopath, right? It's like, I get to be the dichotomy and the duality and the paradox of what it means to be a raving savage and like a grounded spiritual being, right? I get to play and I get to dance in all the worlds. Mm -hmm. I can be a reverend just as much as I can be on a rampage. And that's where I'm really starting to expand like what I feel, not as absolute truth, but as a perspective that I haven't really heard people talk about because there is this like Taoist and Taoist philosophical Eastern medicine path. And then there's the very Christian and Catholic, you know, type of Western medicine path. And you start seeing it in these Eastern and Western worlds, but it's like, why are these two worlds not in one, right? How can we be both reverent and a psychopath on both sides of the equation and really honor every aspect of our humanity. And that's my darkness. It's like, how crazy can I fucking get? And like, how can I fully lean in and be the most of myself in every moment, fully fucking unapologetic. Mm. And that is darkness to me. That is right. Because in that darkness or in that, you know, what I would consider to be more of the unconscious, there's so many parts that are repressed and so many parts that are pushed down that I've recognized over the span of my lifetime to where now what I get to do is I get to find and fully express every single one of those motherfuckers. And I get to see, Hey, does this part resonate with people or not? And if not, then fuck them. Mm-hmm. Like that's who I am. Right? if I'm going to be the guy walking around my house, making monkey sounds and playing with my kids, like then why do I give a shit about anybody else's opinion when my kids love it? Mm-hmm. You know, this is my life. And if I want to come across like a lunatic, then so be it. Like, I'm not going to go out and just beat the shit out of people. Right? That's not the darkness I'm playing with. I've already played in that darkness. And I know that if that part of me needs to come online, it will. And that's where I just get to have full command all yeah. the time. 
And, and that is darkness. It's like, can I command myself in a healthy way? Can I explore these sinister sides, right? Can I look at my sadist? Can I look at my masochist, right? Can I go into like kink and BDSM? Can I play in that way? Can I go into more experiential or experimental ways, you know, to find and touch parts of myself and maybe have that mirrored back by somebody else? If so, great. If not, great. Either way, I'm just here to fuck around and find out all the time. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Because, and I think so many people can be so scared of their dark sides and unwilling to even explore it. Right. And I know that so much of my soul mission as well is to play in both worlds, right. Is to like very much be in the 3d, right. Like not just in like the 5d world and all of that, but like to be in the dark shit, because I know that I can handle it you know, and I know now how to process transmute all of that kind of stuff and very much feel like it's my soul mission. And I love what you said too, about that you impact people just in your way of being and stuff like that. And by showing people like how you are doing things and just by being you, because similarly, like that's so much of my purpose here is like by being me, that gets to be healing for other people in and of itself and a lesson for other people too, and not being afraid of the light or the dark, you know? Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing all of that. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm like looking at the time we're like getting in. I'm like, (laughs) but I do want to touch on quickly. I'm like choosing what question, what final questions we want to go with. You said that there's some thoughts around like crazy stuff that's going on in the coaching industry with like, I think you use the phrase trauma porn, like kind of this like obsessive compulsive behavior in like consumer behavior and stuff like that. Tell me about it. Yeah. I have a lot of judgment towards the coaching industry from a place of discernment. Mm -hmm. And there is like mild grade narcissism there, right? Because there's a certain standard that I see the world, right? And I constantly battle with, is this me being narcissistic or is this me holding the highest standard possible for humanity? Because that's a really thin line, right? Because it's like, oh, you say something directly, or if it's more biased then yeah, it can be narcissistic. But then again, if it's like, I have a concern, but I don't know how to voice it, but I know it needs to be said is the higher standard and the bridge between those two worlds and how to communicate it into the world is really challenging. It really is because I don't know if you knew this, but in COVID time, actually, when we first connected, we saw what a 30 something percent increase in life coaches across the board in terms of statistics that can be found in regards to jobs and employment. Mm -hmm. And if we saw a 30 something percent increase in the last three years, how many have we seen then? right? Because we see jobs that are being lost. We see people that are getting laid off. We have people who are going through this massive collective awakening because that's what Mm -hmm. COVID did. Mm -hmm. It woke a lot of fucking people up because when they're stuck at home and sitting alone, they realize how uncomfortable it is being with themselves. So it's saying, whoa, how can I, you know, do this or feel better? And how can I get some job security? Cool. I'm going to do some work on myself. And then, whoa, I could be a life coach for 300 bucks. Sounds great. That to me is mildly irresponsible. It's like the business coaches who've never actually had a business aside from being a business coach, like that kind of stuff. Right, (laughs) right, exactly those things. 
because even what we just talked about, like even just in who we are and how we be, that's our embodiment. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a lot of things that are in the coaching industry. Right. And this doesn't have to just be in like the spiritual aspect of things. Right. You look at the mindset manifestation Queens, right. Those are one area, right. You look at, you know, everybody's trauma informed now, right. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows what trauma is and they understand the four F's and they know that, Oh, it needs to express itself. So we're going to be as big and as loud and as cathartic as possible because you've been holding it in there for decades, but not asking the question of how this person is going to be or how it's going to change their life after that moment. Because I've had several cathartic moments where I lost touch with reality mm. because there is an ego death that happens. And with ego death, there are things that happen like suicidal ideation. There are sadistic and masochistic shadows that start showing up. There are more opportunities now that you've created all this space and you've opened things up. What are you inviting in? And are you maybe just reinforcing a delusion again and again and again? And there's not a lot of clarity and there's not a lot of integrity around what proper care for human beings looks like. And I say this after working with people for over 10 years now right? It's like, we can't just throw everybody into a breathwork session and hope for the best just because they signed a waiver and then to publicly display it. And then for that to be the context that someone has when they show up, not knowing what the impact is over time, because if someone is not properly resourced, if they are not given proper context, and if they are not given proper instructions, guidance, and aftercare support, they might have a really tough time going back to their ordinary world because everything's different. So how are they really responding to that experience? Knowing that we live in a very high-speed, high-paced hustle culture, especially in the Western world. Eastern world, I'm not too concerned about it right? They've been living this philosophy of life for generations. Whereas it's just now becoming more mainstream and popularized in the Western world. We saw the same thing with yoga and how it got bastardized, mm -hmm. where now all of these limbs of yoga became just another capitalistic opportunity for somebody to open a studio to make and pay their bills. And I think we're seeing the same thing with life coaching and breath workers and, you know, the saturation of information and what's happening on a consumer level is really concerning mm -hmm. because people are one searching for solutions on social media. That is highly alarming that your Instagram profile has now become your resume to the world to make you credible or not, mm. which when you really look at it and how multifaceted and how multidimensional trauma can be and the reverence and the integrity and the awareness that it requires on a practitioner level, because if that's left unchecked, then people are in for a world of hurt. And it comes from a deep hope for humanity and hoping that a higher standard can be reached. 
because even though I don't necessarily agree with like the Western medical system entirely and how the therapeutic structure is reinforced, right? Because there's seven years of school and then there's boards and licenses and laws that oversee the licenses, which dictate a therapist's ability to practice X versus Y. And if they mm -hmm. don't, then they get, you know, certain consequences established and it's just a mess. Yeah. But those are also in place for a reason because you can't just do a 60 hour course and expect to be able to navigate the complexity of a human being. And just because you understand trauma and maybe the implications that it has and how it might manifest doesn't necessarily mean that everybody should be working with it in, in a highly sensitive container, mm -hmm. right? And I think that there are certain steps and levels, right? Because there are levels to trauma. There's levels to spiritual evolution. There's levels to everything. There's levels to life. And to say that we're going to do this one thing, whether it's life coaching or breath work or, you know, NLP, right? Hypnosis work right? These are all like certificates that you can get that doesn't require any entry-level experience. It doesn't require much testing or even officiating to know that practitioners are leaving their training, feeling well-equipped and supported with the tools to navigate anything and everything they might see or experience with another human being. And that's concerning. Mm-hmm. It's just a concern. So there is judgment, but it comes from a place of, I hope that there are certain things that are brought into this system because we're all kind of stepping into this more service oriented purpose, right? Like a lot of people are wanting to be of service. I just hope that there's enough information and context and awareness of what happens because even the work that I've done with my clients and, you know, they'll come to me saying, Hey, like I was seriously contemplating suicide after a big breathwork session. And I shut mm -hmm. down in the middle of it because I couldn't tolerate all the energy in the room. And I wasn't prepared for that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that people are saying they're not prepared for it gives me reason to believe that they weren't actually instructed properly to begin with. And they were maybe misled through the lens of social media. And maybe there was some missing information or context. And maybe it's just ignorance of how these things should be approached. You know, to know that healing doesn't happen through catharsis, it can in a lot of ways. I've experienced it. But what we know about human beings and the emergence of information around the brain and the nervous system and, you know, even autoimmune conditions and psychosomatic disorders, we need to take those into consideration before we throw people into the idea that everybody needs it because not everybody needs a life coach. Not everybody needs breath work. Not everybody is designed for it. Not everybody's ready for plant medicine but it's being pushed out into the world that everybody should be doing microdosing breath work. Right. X, Y, and Z, when in reality, it requires a thorough analysis and an assessment to determine what might be useful or supportive for someone. But I feel like because it's become so mainstream, that's why I call it trauma porn, 
because people are almost addicted to something they see because they desire it so badly, but there are not enough spaces in our society that allow it on the day-to-day basis, right? So there's a big picture here and there's a big issue that I see and I have a lot of compassion for it and I have a lot of judgment around it. And I feel like because of that reason, I have a responsibility to say something about it and then do something about it and offer solutions versus just talk shit about it. Because the work that certain organizations are doing is amazing. I think it's so amazing that they're equipping people with the information and the skills and the systems to help people. Now, there isn't anything to regulate or govern that. So what are people doing with this and how are they going about it? And are they truly equipped enough right, to handle those more challenging things? Not to say they're not equipped because it's not about the practice. It's about the practitioner, right? Same thing with medicine. Nine times out of 10, it's not even the medicine. It's normally who's hosting the ceremony, who's bringing that energy in, who's also recruiting all the people to be in that space. And there is such a delicate approach that needs to be done in highly sensitive spaces because most people are highly sensitive without even realizing it because we've lived in a society that suppresses highly sensitive people. And again, there's so many factors. It's not just socially or culturally, it's environmentally. We have 5G towers that are destroying ourselves on a DNA level. And to think that that is not going to impact our ability to sense observe and feel what's happening around us is absolutely fucking absurd. Mm -hmm. Nutrition, the food that we're eating, the things that it's coated with, the way that things are being done. We have to be more intentional with how we place solutions in people's hands because those solutions can be the exact solutions for them. But if they're skipping steps and they're trying to rush and accelerate their healing journey, then what is the difference between that and pharmacology? It's yeah. the same system, just a different medicine. Right. Quick fix. Like, right. Yeah. But it's not how it works. And there's time and patience and grace and understanding and compassion, right? More than anything that we can recognize as being the initial solutions, which then might set the stage for someone or many people to experience the healing that's possible. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you're noticing, cause with that, cause I've been feeling this a lot in myself and take and following through with action as well, but I'm starting to see other coaches, whether it's like good friends of mine and stuff like that, who are really shifting out of that kind of space into much more slowness, like people who even were like, Oh, I'm going to run a new program every month sort of thing. And they're crushing it, selling shit out, like crushing it with their stuff, but are like, wait, this doesn't feel right. It's working. It's making a fuck ton of money, but it doesn't feel right. So like several friends, even who like million dollar years last year, right. Plus that who have shut down all those programs that were working really well. Are you seeing a shift too with like more groundedness embodiment, like almost more authentic authenticity too in coaching? Are you noticing Mm -hmm. that at all? And I'm really glad I'm seeing it because even though like all the stuff that I had just mentioned is still circulating and happening, I'm noticing that it's happening less Mm -hmm. because there was like a big explosion from it. 
and it became super popular and some companies just exploded in popularity and they're doing great now. They're killing it. They're certifying practitioners left and right. And again, I think that's such a great thing that people are being equipped, how the practitioners are utilizing it and implementing it. There's the level of concern there. That's where the concern lives, not with who's certifying or training the people. It's how people are utilizing and implementing the tools and the skills and the systems they're given and having the awareness and the ability to know when it begins to be too much. Right. And I do see that a lot of people are withdrawing from like the big cathartic experiences and they are moving towards a more slow, gentle, rhythmic approach because Mm -hmm. that is not just happening in the coaching industry. It's happening on a collective level. I'm in three different masterminds right now. And every single mastermind is starting to slow down. Mm. Like everyone in the group wants to slow down. Everybody's working on slowing down and relaxing because the culture that we live in is not designed for sustainability. It's designed for profit. Right. And when people are now starting to recognize that profit doesn't equate to happiness or to harmony, then what's the point of doing all this trauma work when in reality, it's doing the exact opposite exactly. for the people who are holding the space. It just doesn't yeah. make sense. You know, and I think that's what we're seeing because even, and I follow a lot of the finance fields and I start looking at like the socioeconomics and even the politics. And I even like look at certain threads on social media when I do like, you know, something catches my eye. Normally it's just like a really insanely hilarious comment underneath something political. And I'll look into it. And even some of the comment threads and some of the conversations, people are just fed the fuck up. Yeah. They're just fed the fuck up. And when people get to that point, it's like, I need to get the fuck away from everyone and everything. I need to slow down. I need a vacation. I need to like disconnect, go back to nature. And all these things are starting to happen in a big way, not just coaching consulting, because I think that's kind of where it's starting to catch up because even people in the high ticket space, right? High ticket is not selling shit right now. Mm. Sure. They are to a certain point, but people are looking for accessible, sustainable, and gentle solutions because the way of accelerated pathways and, you know, rapid results, people are realizing more and more that rapid results are not sustainable unless they make it sustainable. And if they're given the systems and the skills to create sustainability for themselves, Mm -hmm. but that's not quite really how the coaching industry works. Right. Cause, and even that like fast model, like, you know, there's a lot of like, how do I say this without saying it super obviously, but there's a lot of the like, Oh, like be in my energy kind of coaching and like this month's masterclass and this da, 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 da. And you have to be in this because like, Otherwise you're not like, it's that like, but that just perpetuates that trauma cycle, right? You're keeping somebody in this like dopamine loop of, well, then you need to be in my next thing. Oh, you just did that free masterclass. Well, now, if you don't do the mastermind that follows it for the next four weeks, I don't know if your results are going to, and it's not said in that way, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, sure. You can do it on your own, but it's the urgency and the intensity and the, like, if you're not coming alongside with me, like you're not going to make it kind of energy. Like. That's just playing into the trauma stuff already, right? Whether Mm -hmm. they realize it or not. And so I'm seeing a lot of shift away from that model too. Yeah. (laughs) The masterclass thing is 
I was like laughing on the inside so hard because like, I mean, I just wish more consumers knew that it was a sales strategy, right? Yeah. It's Always. like, is it really designed to be a solution? This is where I say there's a lack of integrity in the space. Because if the masterclass isn't providing an immediate solution for somebody at an initial point, then why the fuck would you do it? Other than just to incentivize people to say, hey, I gave you 10%, but you get your first solution at 20%. But in order right. to get to that 20%, you got to buy in. Right. And all of these like deceptive manipulation tactics, right? NLP hypnosis. I can't tell you how many sales scripts I've seen come across my email after masterminds and things I've invested in, right? And they say, hey, this is how you sell. But we're going to make sure that we place all the right words in the right places. So that way they have no way to argue with you. And now they're in an emotional position to buy. That is extremely out of fucking integrity. Mm. And I think if people were to know that that's actually how the coaching and consulting industry is designed, people would be a lot more cautious yeah. around what they sign up for, right? right? Because that's the consumer model is to keep giving them information, post every day, keep their attention. And as long as you have their attention, you'll get them as a client. But at what point do coaches and consultants say, it's not about the fucking money. It's more about me providing value. And if the money follows, then fuck it. Cool. Yeah. But is that really where most coaches and consultants come from? No. And I know this because every single conversation that we have, and this is a part of the business, right? This is like the thin line that we draw between service and supporting ourselves and our families. And it's a thin line and it requires a high level of integrity, a shit ton of compassion, and a willingness to give so much free shit away. So thank you, fucking Hermosi, for creating a movement to create free shit that gives people solutions from the start versus like trapping them with mind control techniques just so that way you can hit your quota, you know? Right. And so often with so many of these things, like at least with in kind of the the bubble that I had been looking at and a part of right? It's like, oh, this like sprint program, right? It's a week and every day there's training, da, 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 leaves zero room for integration and embodiment. But that was a paid thing. But if, oh, wait, but I promised these results, but yeah, you can get them if you go do the embodiment work on your own. But here's the like follow-up embodiment program. That's even more, even though it's kind of the stuff that I promised you were already going to get in the first program, but now we're actually like, you did get it, but you didn't get the time to actually put it into play, but now we'll put it into play together. Right. <laughs> I'm sure that can be heard by people as being like, oh, you're just shit talking like people who are making something work like it's business. Yeah, I get that. Like it is business. And like, is it effective? Like, is it the most effective for like who you're trying to support and serve? And like what you were saying, like, what is the come from also? Like, what's the energy behind mm -hmm. that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there could be perceived as shit talking and that's the dance, right? Is this shit talking or is this like having a higher standard? hoping that maybe we see a shift. And I think that's a dialogue being worth created, right? Because it's not coming from a place of, you know, like shitting on anyone. I think it's just exposing more information to have conversations that are very real, right? Because I've talked to so many people who distrust the coaching industry because they've been let down again and again and again.
right? Because this person's manifestation techniques didn't work, or these people's affirmations actually made them feel worse about themselves, or this breath work kind of opened some stuff up and now they don't know what their life looks like anymore, you know? And I think there are areas of concern that come from a place of care. I don't think there's anything necessarily even wrong. It's just things that we're allowed to disagree with and things that we're allowed to open up. So maybe people might ask more questions around it. And it could actually be the very conversation that's necessary to really call coaches forward in a higher way, knowing that these rinse and repeat burnout models and programs are not the way anymore because authenticity is what's going to lead the way. And it requires a high level of personal responsibility, integrity, and sustainability, right? It needs to be sustainable. It needs to be simple, right? I think the world has enough complexities happening right now, you know, and yeah, 12 week programs are great and results are never guaranteed. I think that's something we all know when we first sign up for something like results are never guaranteed, you know, are there things inside of what we're investing in that can support us, whether or not we get the result we want or not, right? Is it being presented in a way where we're not so attached to the result as we are to the process, knowing that we're going to have the systems and skills to navigate the challenges that we currently need in our life, you know? So if anything, we can maybe stop promising results to people and say, Hey, this is what you're going to get. And this is what can help you with. And at some point in time, it's not going to work for you anymore because the tools that got you here will not get you to the next level of where you're going. These tools will get you to the next level, but when you're going to the next level, you're going to need a new set of tools. You're going to need new systems. You're going to need a new operating system for that highest version of you that lives on the next floor above. And if you can come to accept that, then you might not feel so disappointed when they don't work for you anymore. Because that's where it is, right? It's like meeting people where they're at is an act of compassion and then providing the solutions is the act of service. Mm -hmm. And I think having more open and honest dialogues is what creates the authentic relationship, like authentic investment, where both people are seeing eye to eye. And because of that, that will facilitate a greater result than the systems or skills together combined. Absolutely. Okay. One more question. And then we're going to wrap. I'm like, geez, like how's, how's this? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I know that you have said that I believe 2022 hardest year of your life. Yes. Last year. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which same experience, hardest year of my life as well. And I've seen that as a theme for many people in the healing space. And in the collective, like whether it's my audience, like personal relationships, friends, like other coaches, healers, that kind of stuff. Like, why do you think that is, or, or have you noticed that several other people like in this kind of world, spiritual, whatever we want to call it, went through major, major initiations, transformations, evolutions, whatever it was in 2022. Mm -hmm. Like, did you notice that as well? Oh Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. What, what do you think is behind all that on the, on a collective? Yeah. So <laughs> I've been studying like socioeconomics a lot okay. and also like world history and trends and civilizations, yeah. historical timelines. And I don't know if people know this or not, 
but we're about 248 years in out of 250 from a full revolution of Pluto, I want to say it is. And Pluto as in the plant planet? Yeah. Okay. And astrology is a very real thing. Yes. You know, it's we're all interconnected in this this web of life somehow, some way. And it's important to know that astrology is not creating the issue, right? It's another reference point where information is available, much like the downfall of major civilizations like the Roman Empire, the Mayan Empire. And we start looking at historical trends and we start looking at timelines and how things are happening. So when we bring together the astrological point of view in the 250 years and we start looking at the financial right historical timeline which i want to say is every 80 years or 70 years or something like that it's a really big shift and then there's like the cultural and civilization timeline where all these things are kind of intersecting at the same time this is why we start seeing that the political issues that arise that have risen up i should say are very tumultuous why the financial crisis, the impending recession, well, depression, because we're already in the recession, mm-hmm. the impending depression and the collapse of the dollar and all those things are happening, as well as on a spiritual or astrological or quantum level, things are quite literally going to burn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're seeing the... Congress system, right? We're seeing the the executive system, the legislative system, the judicial system, the financial system. We're we're seeing all of these systems starting to collapse. And just like any plant medicine ceremony, which I'm sure you've probably heard, like when you say yes to the ceremony is actually when the ceremony begins. (laughs) Yeah. That was 2022 when everybody said, yes, okay. COVID's not really a real thing. So we're going to say yes to this greater existence. And we're going to start advocating for all the things that we've been suppressed by, right? We see BLM and the trans movement and, you know, all of these activist movements started like popping up like fucking weeds since 2020. And I think that this 2020 to like 2023 now is where people were like, fuck this. We're going to start exploring land. We're going to start exploring different financial options. We're going to start looking at Web3, cryptocurrency, more sovereign alternatives to how to live our lives. And last year was kind of the tipping point because a lot of people signed up to be, you know, we talked about the life coaches, right? They signed up for this greater mission. But after every yes comes a giant, are you sure? (laughs) So... People are like, yeah, I want to do this thing. But 2022 is like, okay, this is going to be the filter. And we're going to filter out all the people who shouldn't be doing this work. We're going to be filtering out all the people who really said yes Mm -hmm. to test if it was a real yes, or if it was like, "Eh, I think I could do this for a little bit. And if people were not all the way fuck in to this work and to this path, then they were fucking kicked out. Right. They were kicked out of the equation and they were kicked out through life circumstances. The most hardest and most burdensome things, right? Whether it was death or a breakup or a business collapsing or 
something ending that really challenged their will and ability to commit again and again and again, despite the adversity or the odds they were given. And I think that's what it was. I think it was a giant energetic filter for a lot of people. And I kind of prefaced it with like timelines and history and certain things that we can see, right? And if you've gone down the Fibonacci sequence wormhole, and if you've really looked into mathematics and history and time and how things have played out and how you're able to predict certain things and all the astrology fans will start talking about transits, but really we're talking about a global timeline, mm-hmm. a collective timeline that we're able to start seeing certain trends and prepare for them in a way where it doesn't completely debilitate us. And, and that's kind of on the horizon and it's not meant to induce fear. I think it's actually more so to induce hope, knowing that with every collapse, there's opportunities. Yes. Everybody in the 08 housing crisis, financial crisis, a shit ton of people lost their homes, but the people who were prepared and saw it coming are chilling now. Right. They're in really good positions in life right now. So I say that not to induce fear, but more as a motivator to be prepared because I don't know what's going to happen, but I know something's going to happen and we're starting to see it. Yeah. Another, another level in this game that we're playing and in like new earth coming. Right. And, and another layer of initiation for light workers, healers, like whoever's, whoever's here to do soul work to like help raise consciousness. Right. Like, whoo. Mm-hmm. You yeah. said it perfectly. It was initiation. Filter initiation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, same thing, right? Okay. It's the same thing. Y'all, we are we are wrapping this. I'm like, this was this was great. And if I can, can I actually mirror something back to you right now? Yes. Because so as everyone heard, this dude, we are so in it. My headphones just died on me. We're good. I think no, I can still one's still kind of going. Okay. So as everyone knows, like this, this is our first conversation. So Nathan and I, and aside from like five minutes of just like chit chat, hello, before I hit record, like this is our first conversation. And so I just want to let you know, like I have felt so grounded, calm, like ease, peaceful nervous system, this whole conversation. And so present, like, I mean, look at it, like it's like two hours in. And so that's just like testament to like all the work that you've done. Cause like, I just feel so relaxed over here. So just wanted to mirror that reflection back to you. So, so thank you. Right. Like, cause, cause I can feel the work that you've done on your end over here. Oh, wow. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's very much mutual. This is cool. fun. We're going to have to do this so, one again. Right? Hey friend. We'll um, go down okay. all those other wormholes. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh, we didn't, there's too much juicy stuff. We can't get to it today. Okay. So to close us out where can everybody find you? And also like, what do you have going on that people can be a part of, whether it's programs, masterminds, coaching, you name it. So how can people get plugged in with you as well? Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. They can find me pretty much everywhere at Nathan Kohlerman. That's my name. It'll probably be in the show notes. So good luck spelling that on your own. And I've got a website. It's newintention.com, N-E-U, and then intention.com. NathanKohlerman.com is getting built right now. I've got the podcast, Spiritual Psychopath, which you'll definitely have to come on sometime. That will be releasing soon. I'm just waiting on some trademark stuff to be going through, and then we shall be good to go there. And then I've got a 80-hour somatic leadership 
training coming up July 31st. So I'm the co-founder for Refuge Leadership Academy. And we have a trauma-informed 80-hour course over 18 weeks for leaders who want to dive deeper into self-mastery, leadership, and then trauma and somatics, and then how to apply it in a meaningful and an embodied way. Thank you so much for all of that. So everybody, be sure to connect with Nathan. Let us know your thoughts about this episode. And thank you again so much for joining and being so generous with your time as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode and if you know of somebody else who is bold, successful, and unapologetically owning their unique magic while they make a big impact in the world, please send them my way. And it would also mean the world to me if you help me get this message out to as many listeners as possible. So if you liked what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you would please take 30 seconds to leave a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share this episode with your friends. Be sure to tag me so that I can say thank you. And until the next episode, keep showing up, keep using your voice, and keep being you. Because the world needs more of your magic. Yeah.